Today is the fourth Sunday of Eastertide, and traditionally this is the Sunday of the Good Shepherd, or Good Shepherd Sunday. And so we are looking this morning at John chapter 10, and if you have your Bible and would like to open up to John 10, uh, that would be great. In John 10, Jesus makes a statement about sheep and shepherds and sheepfolds and thieves, and then in, uh, in verses 1 through 6, and then in verses 7 through 18, Jesus calls himself the Good Shepherd. And in using this metaphor, he taps into a long-standing tradition already at this point in God's people, where God was understood to be the shepherd of his people, as we are reminded, were reminded already, having read Psalm 23, that most well-known of Psalms, about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Jesus is making some great claims about who he is and about what he has come to do and to be for us. As our good shepherd, the metaphor is quite clear, even though we don't live in an agrarian society, we don't really encounter shepherds like Jesus' hearers would have done on a daily or at least weekly basis. It was a regular part of their culture. It's still a pretty clear metaphor for us that as our good shepherd, Jesus leads us. Verse 3, he cares for us. Verse 9, he knows us intimately. <clears throat> Verses 14 and 15. In fact, in that, it's, it's worth pointing out that he says, I know my own and my own know me, <clears throat> just as the Father knows me, I, and I know the Father. Think about how well the eternal Son and Father know one another. And it's astonishing that Jesus says, in the same way as your good shepherd, I know you, that intimately, that fully, in the way that I know my Father and my Father knows me. As our good shepherd, he protects us from threats. Unlike the hired hand in verses 12 and 13, he seeks to give us life, a verse that we built on during our Lenten season, abundant life in verse 10. And he goes to great lengths, he says in this passage, to do this, laying down his own life, verses 11 and 15. And in verse 7, he mixes metaphors, as Jesus often does and confuses commentators, uh, where he says, I am the gate. And he makes the claim that he is the door through which sheep must enter in to protection into salvation, he says. All who enter uh, by me, verse 9, will be saved, and they will go in, presumably into the sheepfold, a place of protection and safety among the threats of the desert or the wilderness where the sheep are being herded. And they will also go out through this gate and find pasture, he says, in words that reflect us back to Psalm 23 and God leading us to green pastures and taking us beside still waters and restoring our soul. He will protect us as our good shepherd. He will provide for us as our good shepherd, and so on. These are the things that we need. But at the center of this metaphor, there's, um, there's a, a theme that I want us to focus on for our time together this morning. And that first appears in verse 3, where he says, To him the gatekeeper opens, and then the sheep hear his voice. The sheep hear his voice. And again in verse 4, for they know his voice. And in verse 15, and they will listen to my voice. And as the chapter then continues and Jesus' discourse continues in verse 27, he says, my sheep hear my voice. At the heart of this relationship between the shepherd and his sheep, between Jesus and you and me, is the voice of the shepherd and our attentiveness to that voice, knowing that voice. What is declared by Jesus as the good shepherd, that his sheep hear his voice, becomes an exhortation to us as the church, both within the New Testament and, of course, beyond into our present day. 
Do we hear his voice? The voice of the risen Lord that we celebrate week after week. The voice of God the Son. Back when I was a rafting guide, we'd often do uh, paddle boats, which I'm sure some of you who've gone rafting or have been on a paddle boat as opposed to an, a frame, an oar boat, where the guide has two oars. In a paddle boat, everybody's got a paddle. And so you're going down the river, and the job of the guide sitting in the back is to shout out commands, go, back, left, turn, right, turn, uh, stop. And the way in which that whole rafting scheme works or is at least supposed to work, is that your customers are supposed to listen to your voice and do what you say as you go down uh, the river. Um, one time I was taking a group of friends in my first season down the river, and it was in the rapid where they take pictures, and I had called out commands, and in the pictures my friends just have their paddles up above their head and shouting and having a great time, which uh, wasn't exactly what was supposed to happen. Uh, also, we worked on the Arkansas River in Colorado, which is the busiest section of whitewater in North America. So we called it sometimes like the McDonald's of whitewater rafting. And oftentimes you would be piled boat on boat on boat. And when you get into that situation and you've got a bunch of paddle boats around, it's very easy to hear all kinds of other voices, other guides, other captains telling you what to do and when to stroke. And that's the case. And we'll look at that in just a moment a little bit more. And Jesus says, you know, my sheep, they hear my voice. Over and against the cacophony of voices around us, they hear my voice. And this is an ongoing matter of concern for the church. Think about the Mount of Transfiguration. There is Jesus with Moses and Elijah. And what's the voice from heaven declare? This is my beloved son. What? Listen to him. He speaks a better word than Moses, a better word than the prophets, Elijah. Long ago, our God spoke through the prophets, the beginning of Hebrews says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Listen to him. This is the voice I want you to listen to. And then it's interesting, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, John has this vision of the exalted and risen Jesus, and Jesus speaks, and he speaks from his exalted, risen state to the churches, seven of them, signifying the complete and the whole church, the churches that live in a world and in a context where there are all kinds of other voices around them, giving them commands and calling them to go in different directions. And God speaks through his Son. And the message of the Spirit through the risen Christ is to listen to Jesus. And so each of those letters in Revelation 2 and 3 finishes with, hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches through the person of Jesus. Listen to him. Psalm 81 is a, a psalm that laments from God's voice the fact that his people are no longer listening to him. This isn't just a New Testament issue, but this is a whole scripture issue. And he says, they don't live rejected my voice. They don't listen to me. And he says that in verse 13, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. And then he promises them, if they would do that, then I would feed them with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy them. If they would listen to me, if they would hear my voice, they would be led into green pastures and beside still waters and restore their souls and find the life that I've come to bring. So this idea of listening is at the heart of this metaphor. Let me say something then. What is the voice that we're listening to? What can we say about this voice? Because this voice is not like any other voice. This voice has power and authority 
to create new realities. When this voice spoke in the beginning of time and said, let there be light, there was light. The, the, the created order, matter itself, obeys this voice. Paul writes that this voice calls into being, calls into existence those things that do not exist in Romans 4. And over this created order which this voice has made, this voice continues to exercise complete and utter power and authority over all of creation. The voice speaks and the raging sea is stilled. This voice speaks and the deaf hear. This voice speaks and the crippled rise up and walk. This voice speaks and the dead walk out of the tombs and are unbound and set free. This voice has power and authority and truth and beauty and life and wisdom. And the voice itself leads us to the fullest kind of life that we could ever know. This voice compels us, convicts us, encourages us, comforts us, forgives us, rebukes us, disciplines us. This mighty and powerful voice is living and active. We read in Hebrews 4, sharper than a double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul from spirit and joints from marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This voice is alive. As our King, Jesus is alive and calling to his sheep to listen. This voice comes with authority. What was it that they said when Jesus taught? Ah, a new teaching, and he teaches as one who has authority. And they were amazed, and they were were wondering at his teaching and at his words, because he had authority. His disciples, after he speaks some hard things in John 6, about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, everybody starts to fall away and says, are you going? And Peter says, where should we go? For you, Lord, have the words of eternal life. Your words are alive and powerful and able to do what everything, everything that we long to be done really in our lives. So that's the voice that we are called to listen to. That's the voice that the sheep hear and know. But that voice exists in a world of all kinds of other voices. Jesus says in verse 5 that the sheep don't know the voice of the strangers in his parable. But the reality is, and the New Testament bears this out, is that the sheep are often drawn to listen to and follow and tempted to follow other voices regularly. There's a constant barrage for all of us in our lives of speculative, deceptive voices telling us to eat from the forbidden fruit, promising us greater life, greater flourishing, if only we would follow what they're saying. It's interesting in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs 8, wisdom, lady wisdom, goes out into the town, to the street corners, in the high places, sits at the front of the gates to declare her words of life to all who would listen. That's in chapter 8. In chapter 9, at the end of chapter 9, Dame Folly goes out to the high places to declare her invitation to her counterfeit banquet. The mighty voice of God has always been challenged from the very beginning. Did God really say? And continues to be challenged to this day. It's fascinating in the resurrection account in Matthew's gospel. After Jesus is raised from the dead, the guards who have been knocked off their feet by the angel go back to tell the chief priests what happened. And the chief priests pay the guards a sum of money and tell the guards to make up a story that his disciples came and stole the body. And then... Matthew tells us that story is spread among the Jews to this day. The truth of God, 
The power of God is always opposed by a false word, by a false voice. And never has the resurrection testimony existed in a context where there wasn't significant opposition. And we see that, let me give you three ways that we see this opposition, these other voices. One is external. Chloe goes to Boston Latin School, a large public school in the city of Boston. Their motto is sumus primi, which means we are first. There's a voice, a voice that's declared over 2,000 plus young people every day. We are first. You're going to be the world changers. You're going to change the world. You're the best. And we hear voices, external voices like that. I don't know if any of you saw the the funny work that Nike did this week in trying to break the two-hour barrier in the marathon um, called Breaking Two. But the whole premise of that, the voice behind that is humanity can do whatever it sets its mind to. You are strong. You are capable. And barriers are meant to be broken. Now, of course, there's an element of this that I would affirm. And so don't misunderstand me and say, I completely reject all that. But there's a deep lie in all of that. And I take a lot of glory, a lot of kind of, I don't know, maybe it's sick glee in the fact that they didn't break the two-hour barrier. Spoiler. Uh, They got 23 seconds away. Um, It didn't quite happen. Despite how much we thought we could, how much we believed. There are these other voices, voices that say trust science and the work of science to bring about the solution to man's problems, technology, education, political systems. We hear these voices all the time. We are inundated with other voices to listen to and to follow and to give ourselves to. But they're not just external voices that call us to other things, are they? There are deep-seated internal voices as well, for you and for me, as human beings, largely impacted by the reality of sin and evil in the world, but these things are so strong, we all have records that we play in our head that send messages all the time that are not of God, that are not the voice of the Good Shepherd. And these tend to take two forms. One of them is the message that you're nothing, that you're nobody, that you're a phony, that you're a fake, that you can't do it, that you don't have the gifts that you need to make it in this world. And it's that voice of self-condemnation. And you know this voice, I know this voice, that continually just barrages us again and again and again. When we slip up, that just holds that in our face. That's the accuser continuing to smush us down. And then on the flip side, that internal voice, and and perhaps that that voice of self-loathing and condemnation comes when circumstances have changed, not for the better, but for the worse. That's at least when we're particularly vulnerable to it. But many of us, that that is the record. Some of us might have the other side of that, the other internal voice that says, you're great. You're amazing. Now, we would never tell anybody that that voice goes on in our head. You're smarter than them. You're better than them. You're stronger than them. You're more witty than them. Whatever it is. And often that voice comes when things are going fairly well or something good has happened. By the way, that voice is just as much from the accuser, from the enemy, from the thief and the robber who come to steal and to kill and destroy and not to give life. There are voices, external voices. There are voices, internal voices all around us that we are prone to follow and to give ourselves to. So how do we hear his voice? 
our good shepherd's voice. I want to say something about how and then just give a, a, a bit on what we need on, on, the, on the issue of discernment as we close. This is how we hear his voice. Through the biblical word. Through scripture. It's interesting that Jesus says in Matthew 28 to his disciples, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Go and speak the words that I have spoken. Go and declare the truths that I have declared. Go and be the mouthpiece for me, the good shepherd. And so the apostles live out this spirit-led, spirit-empowered testimony to Jesus and to all that Jesus spoke to his sheep which is then codified for us in the scriptures in the New Testament, so that all future proclamation within the church must be consistent with this witness. And so to know the voice of our good shepherd, we must know the word that his spirit has breathed out for us, which is why this word features in our gatherings. It features when we meet together in groups of three or four in triads or neighborhood groups or as we gather on Sundays, we open up this word. And we become saturated with this word. This is the life-giving word. I want you to know that it's impossible to follow the good shepherd in the world of competing voices. And it's impossible to truly grow in faith apart from a deep nourishment upon the scriptures, which are the words of life, the words that are living and active, the words of that voice that said, let there be. And it was so. So we come to the scriptures We come to the scriptures also through the preached word in the gathered body. In Acts, we see that the preaching of the apostles, they devoted themselves to the ministry of the word. And as the word is opened up, and that's why we stick to this archaic, there are voices in the church that say, well, we're done with preaching. Preaching is not the way forward. It doesn't connect with people anymore. And yet, we see that the power of God is expressed through the word that's opened and preached and read in the local congregation as we gather. Timothy is exhorted by Paul in 2 Timothy 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth the voice of the good shepherd, and wander off into myth. These other voices, well, how do we continue to hear that voice? It's through the word preached and taught in the, long, in the context of God's people, declared in the authority of God by his spirit. And so we continue to dedicate ourselves to that work in the life of God's church, to hear his voice. We hear his voice through the rebuke and encouragement of the body, through one another. Paul says in Ephesians 4, speak the truth in love to one another and so grow up into him who is the head, to all maturity. We become agents of that word to one another. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of love that come through the the mouth of a brother or sister who is trusted, who cares for you who calls you as a good shepherd would call you off from wandering back into the sheepfold. We become that word to one another. And then through prayer, 
The fact that God is continuing to speak to his people, not in a way that ever undermines or opposes his word in scripture, but in a way that amplifies and applies and makes alive and fresh in a new way that word that God has spoken of life. And so we dedicate ourselves to being on our knees before him, to longing to hear his life. But let me close by saying that in order to hear this word through scripture, through the preached word, through, through one another in the community, and through prayer, there is a requirement upon us for true discernment and wisdom. Because there are so many other voices, and because of what Jesus says in this text, he says, the thieves and the robbers, they come into the sheepfold. They come in to pull you away. They come in to steal and kill and destroy and to take your life. And, and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10 or 11 that Satan walks or goes around disguised as an angel of light. The alternate word, the opposite word, comes disguised as one who is of the light. And so we desperately need discernment and wisdom. John says in 1 John 4 to test the spirits because there are many false prophets that enter into the church. I had this experience in Colorado Springs, which is my hometown. That we, we didn't live there. Um, uh, shortly after Mandy and I got married, we were back visiting my parents, and I went to hear an evangelist who is well-known across the world. And the Coliseum in Colorado Springs, I think they called it the World Coliseum, which was kind of funny, uh, but the Coliseum in Colorado Springs was packed full of people. To hear this man peddle a gospel that was not a gospel, except the gospel of greed, and to pass around buckets with credit card slips and to throw their money in, I'm telling you, there are many, many false prophets out there in the world that peddle a truth and a gospel that is not the gospel of Jesus, that is not the word, the mighty word, that gives life to those who hear and follow it. And so as a church, we need discernment. Well, how can we have discernment? Well, I'll give you one little test here, three things to say as we think about being the sheep who hear the shepherd's voice, about the word that's spoken from Christ. First, this word always prioritizes Jesus and him crucified. And, this si- and, and Jesus as Lord of all. And this silences all those external voices that call us to serve other gods and other things. Paul says, I resolved to know nothing, nothing while I was among you except Christ and him crucified. Jesus is at the center of this word. The good shepherd is the one who calls us to himself. And any amplification of the, of the shepherd's words will always lead us to Jesus, but not Jesus as the genie who fulfills our deepest wishes, but Jesus, the crucified and risen one who brings us to the depth of life. And that brings me then to these second points about that which are that this word that points to Jesus will always silence that internal voice of self-condemnation and accusation. Because the Good Shepherd speaks a word of deep love and forgiveness and grace. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The cross demonstrates for us just how deeply we are loved. Jesus says in this text, the good shepherd will lay down his life for the sheep. And he does so. And so this word, the cruciform word, that points to the cruciform Savior, to Jesus, on the cross and risen from the grave, 
Always as a word of affirmation, the deepest kind of affirmation and love that you are a beloved child of God, made in his image, deeply loved by the creator of the universe whose word speaks and things come to be. And has that word of the good shepherd silenced that voice inside of you? Has it broken into the broken record? Has it thrown it off track? A word that speaks about Jesus and him crucified and raised will always be a word that speaks a deep encouragement to your soul. That brings you to delight and satisfaction and rest and peace. And, lastly, it will be a word that undoes the internal voice of self-exaltation and pride and greatness. Because the cross shows for us just how deeply flawed we are. Just how deeply rebellious we were. Just how mortally wounded we were by the power of sin. And so Jesus speaks this word also from the cross to come and take up your cross and follow me. To become last, to become least. To see the depth of your need which eradicates human pride and invites you then to open your heart to the deepest kind of love and then to reflect that love to the world around you. Jesus speaks a better word. Our good shepherd speaks a better word, a word of life. We need discernment to hear that word in the context of many voices. But we desperately, desperately need to hear that word that points to Jesus crucified and raised, that silences those internal voices and external voices that don't lead us to life, but lead us to death. Listen to him, my beloved son. Amen.